0: Your Locked On Golden Knights, your daily podcast on the Vegas Golden Knights. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, your Vegas Golden Knights. Our one went away from the Western Conference Final for the second time in three seasons. And for a little bit there, it did not look like it was going to happen, but as the Golden Knights have shown throughout the course of this postseason, they are never out of a game when they are trailing after two, and it showed again in Game 4 on Sunday night. Welcome back, everybody, to Locked On Golden Knights, part of Locked On Podcast Network. It is Monday, August 31st, thousand and twenty. Fresh off the heels of a back to back sweep for the Vegas Golden Knights in their series against the Vancouver Canucks. A 3 0 shutout on Saturday, a 5 3 win on Sunday to put the Golden Knights within one victory of reaching the Final Four for the second time in three seasons. My name is Danny Webster. I'm your host, and I do appreciate you stopping by for today's post game pod, which will break down both the Game 3 victory, and the Game 4 victory to put the Golden Knights in this position. So a lot to digest here as far as what has happened over the last 48-72 hours. Obviously, with everything going on and the league deciding and the players deciding more so to uh, to, uh, boycott the games on Thursday and Friday and pushing the Golden Knights-Canucks Game 3 to Saturday... That also did move up the back-to-back for the Golden Knights and Canucks to Games 3 and 4. There is also a possibility of a Game 6 and Game 7 back-to-back should we get there. But the Golden Knights took care of business in Games 3 and Game 4 to put themselves in the position they are in. One win away from the Western Conference Final for the second time in three seasons. And if all goes according to plan, like it is right now, if all goes according to chalk, It'll be the Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars in the Western Conference Final, which just absolutely drives me mad that I cannot be in my second favorite city of Dallas, Texas, to be there for a conference final. But it is what it is. And what it is, is the Golden Knights, like I mentioned earlier, taking care of business in Games 3 and Game 4. Let's go back to Game 3, shall we? Game 3 was an instance where the Golden Knights needed to obviously respond after getting shellacked in Game 2. Uh, Vancouver came out, blitzed them. They took advantage of a lot of uh, missed opportunities by the Golden Knights, and they came out and played a better game, and they ended up winning 5-2. So, of course, you know the Golden Knights needed to respond, and respond they did, especially early go- in the early going, primarily because of Robin Leonard. Now the funny thing is Leonard has not seen a lot of shots in the Edmonton bubble so far. At, to this point up entering Saturday, he had only seen 30 shots in a game once. And you have to go back to the round robin game against Colorado to see how busy he was and that was the busiest he was to that point. It took 20 minutes for Robin Leonard to see 16 shots. He turned away all 16 of them. 9 of them came on the power play, 2 of them came on a 5 on 3, and Robin Leonard stood tall and eventually shut the door. Alex Tuck got the scoring started by scoring in his fourth consecutive game off a great saucer feed from Nick Wad to put the Golden Knights up one nothing. And just shortly uh, shortly later, if I can get the words out of my mouth, less than two minutes later, Zach Whitecloud scores unassisted by beating Markstrom far side top shelf to put Vegas up 2 to nothing. And then in the third period, on the power play, Mark Stone caps it off. With his goal with a goal to put Vegas up 3-0, that would be your final score. A 32 save a 31 save shutout, I should say, was corrected later on in the night, but a 31 save shutout for Robin Leonard. Only saw fifteen shots in the final 40. And going into game four tonight, I had a feeling that maybe, just maybe, it and again, this isn't out of the realm of possibility because the Golden Knights have done this before. The possibility of putting Robin Leonard out there for a second straight game. Now it seems it seemed a little crazy, but the Golden Knights have done that with Marc Andre Fleury multiple times, especially on no travel. Given the fact that they're only going to the visitors' locker room, there was really no travel involved uh, in terms of an airplane. So, Robin Leonard getting the call again in game four. No! Marc Andre Fleury making his second appearance in the Stanley Cup playoffs, third in the postseason overall. It wasn't his fault tonight. He gave up three goals. Two of them were on the power play. One of them, you could make the argument that it was his fault. The puck bounced a little bit, got caught behind his skate, and then he inadvertently kicked it in to put the Canucks on the board. But other than that, Marc-Andre Fleury did what he needed to do in this game. And again, two power play goals, not his fault, When especially when four, all four of Vegas's penalties that led to the two uh, that led to the two power play goals all came in the offensive zone. So you're really putting Flurry in a tough spot there, and especially when you have three penalties committed in about a six minute span. Uh, not a fun time for Marc Andre Fleury on the penalty kill, but he was terrific tonight. He made a lot of great saves. He made a lot of huge saves. There was a glove save in the second period. I can't remember exactly when the time frame of that save was, but he stopped Elias Pettersson on the doorstep with the glove. Not not as uh, heroic and dramatic as the glove save against Toronto earlier this year, but man, it was a huge save to keep a goal off the board. And Flurry did his thing, making 27 saves in this victory. But the big man of the hour was one Max Pacioretty. Earlier today... In the, in the pregame Zoom availability, Pete DeBoer said the following. He's a bounce or two away from getting on a roll here. It took two bounces, and Max Patrick already scored two goals. He scored the game's opening goal in the power play, and then he scored the go-ahead goal 7 2 into the third period for the 4-3 lead. And then he had the primary assist on a great feed to William Carlson 127 later to give Vegas a 5-3 lead. And that would be the final score Vegas with a three goal third period to withstand goals from Bo Horvat and Tyler Toffoli in the second to give Vancouver the lead all in all the golden Knights took care of business two games in a span of 24 hours. They got the job done five to three victory and the golden Knights again are one win away from the Western conference final for the second time in three seasons. Overall, you cannot ask for a better situation out of this, because not only did you get what you needed out of Robin Leonard in a response in game three, which you got a very big shutout, you also were able to get Marc-Andre Fleury in the game for game four, and he played very well. Uh, Again, you take out the two power play goals, you take away the goal where he invariably kicks it in. Fleury was fantastic tonight, And, and it's Still amazing to me that it has been, what, 14 years or a little over 14 years since the last time Marc-Andre Fleury lost in regulation to the Vancouver Canucks. It is insane to think about that particular stance, which I mean, I can I can understand why a lot of people would want to go with Fleury in this round. But again, Robin Leonard's the hot hand. He did not get a lot of help in Game 2. He responds in Game 3 with a shutout, and then Fleury comes in in Game 4 the very next night. He plays fantastic. The Golden Knights rally for the 5 3 win and take the 3 1 series lead. So, overall, if you're a Golden Knights fan, you cannot complain at all about this situation. Whether you believe that Flurry should be playing over Leonard or Leonard should be playing over Flurry, you got the best of both worlds. In Chicago, you really didn't get the best of both worlds. This one, you did. This was the game right here that showed why the Golden Knights went out and got Robin Leonard at the trade deadline, and both goaltenders delivered on the biggest stage. And now Vegas will have a chance to close this out in five on Tuesday. More so than anything, to me, this was also the game where I think it was it might have been Shea Theodore's coming out party. Now, we, we've seen Theodore kind of take that next leap into being one of the top-level defensemen in this league. Mark Stone said it best after the game tonight that Shea Theodore is becoming a Norris-caliber defenseman. Two points tonight, two assists, and he was all over the ice playing it primarily in the offensive end defensively he was also very good he got a lot of sticks on a lot of pucks in the in the defensive zone he was absolutely spectacular and i mean you look up and down the lineup here who scored in this game you had pacharredi lead with three points nate schmidt had the game tying goal early in the third period and then he had the the assist to pacharredi's second goal To give him a two-point night, Mark Stone with two assists, Shea Theodore with two assists, and then Carlson, Martinez, Stevenson, John Merrill with his first career Stanley Cup playoff point. Merrill, who had been pretty much a healthy scratch this entire time, was in for Nick Holden in Game 4, and Merrill played 14 8 and was a plus one, and of course, that plus one being the one assist in that game. So we will discuss a little bit more about the defenseman in just a little bit, and their impact, and really the overall impact of this team through through four games in this series. But first, friends, we need to talk about Built Bar. Now, Built Bar has been a staple of the Locked On Podcast Network for the last number of months, and they have relaunched now with six new flavors. I still cannot wait to try these out. At some point, we're going to make this happen. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. All sound delicious and that goes well with the 12 original flavors like coconut, almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, peanut butter, brownie, salted caramel. The list goes on and on. Built Bars are healthy and are great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. And right now, Built Bar has a promo code ready for you whenever you're ready for checkout. You get a free cooler with a purchase while supplies last. All you got to do is go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. That's B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R dot com. And as a reminder, friends, you can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. If you want to send an email, because emails are also friendly, LockedOnGoldNights at gmail.com is the best place to do that, and I do appreciate all of the support. And also, if you want to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast, that would be swell. Appreciate that, too. That It doesn't need to be a five-star. You can rate it whatever you want. But if you and I are pals, let's make it a five-star. Cool? Cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's go back to Game 4 because there are a lot of layers through Game 4 that I think need to be discussed. The defenseman, obviously, being one of them. Uh, Max Pacioretty, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But I wanted to discuss Shea Theodore because I mentioned at the top Mark Stone's thoughts on him being a Norris caliber defenseman to which I mean if there's any if there's any coach that's going to turn a defenseman into a Norris caliber defenseman it's going to be Pete DeBoer given how he's molded Brent Burns given how he's had Eric Carlson for a year and some change if there is a guy that is going to get the most out of Shea Theodore playing a defenseman and getting into that Norris caliber level it is going to be Pete DeBoer now Theodore has been terrific in these playoffs. He's over a point per game. He's got 12 points in 11 games. He's got four goals to eight assists. He's been fantastic. But what we're seeing here in the coming of age of Shea Theodore, who, again, by the way, is 25 years old. It's not like he is some some rookie or whatnot. it's, It's not like a Zach Whitecloud situation where he's just shocking everybody with how good he is. We know how good Theodore can be. It's just a matter of, is he going to have the right guys around him to elevate him to that next level? And you can make the case, under Gerard Gallant, he wasn't getting it. He was paying you know, 17, 18, 19 minutes. Gallant was kind of rotating uh, the defenseman as evenly as possible in terms of time on ice. It wasn't like Theodore was going to get those those big games, those long Those long, drawn-out games where you know that a defenseman is going to play 25, 26 minutes a night. Not until Pete DeBoer came along in January where you see Theodore getting all these minutes. I mean, there are a couple instances in the regular season where he's playing 30 minutes a night. You know, he's leading the team in time on ice. He's been stellar at both ends. What we're seeing in the playoffs right now is a complete coming-of-age of Shea Theodore. And I'm not even talking about just in terms of being an offensive stalwart on On the blue line, we're talking about. I know plus minus really isn't the best thing to go off of, but we're talking nights where he is at a plus four against Chicago. He's had a couple of plus two nights. Him and Alec Martinez have turned into a great pairing, and they're technically the second pairing. I think I made a case last week that really, if you're going to go with this going forward, you might want to go with Theodore Martinez as your top pairing. They're playing like they are, but they're not starting every night like they should. But, I mean, you look at the time on ice for Theodore, he's still getting 22, 18, 22, 19, 24, 22, 21, 25 minutes a game. This is the kind of production and this is the kind of opportunity that is going to make Theodore that Norris-caliber guy. And I know for a long period of time, we look at a Norris-caliber defenseman and we're like, well, he can do what he can do on the offensive end, but can he do what he can do on the defensive end? Yeah, Shea Theodore has turned into a great defensive player something that I think was hindering his ability the last couple of years. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go very far, and I'm looking really at Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final when he made that blunder of a play that led to Devontae Smith-Pelly getting the third goal and putting the game out of reach. Those kind of plays creeped up a lot in this instance. And, And I'm not saying Theodore's been perfect. There have been multiple instances throughout the course of this postseason where Shea Theodore has just looked lethargic, he hasn't looked, like, fully great, but I think as the playoffs have ro- have gone on, we've seen that evolution that is going to make Shea Theodore amazing. He's over a point per game, but the, it's just the way that he's handling himself on the power play, it's the way that he is getting himself involved in the offense. I mean, what, back in game two, he had eight shots on goal, which, I mean, in a loss, you probably don't want that, but... He was really the only one generating offense outside of Alex Tuck. And the way that he was commanding the game, he had two assists on the night, but he was a minus one. Theodore, again, he's only 25 and he's on such an affordable contract, you forget just how ridiculously good he can be going forward. And if the Golden Knights are going to make a deep run in these playoffs, like they're they're really destined to be at this point, they're going to need play out of their blue line. Blue line depth is going to be huge. And you're gonna need goals, big goals, like you got from Nate Schmidt tonight. You're gonna to need big two point nights from Shea Theodore, who, by the way, one, two, three, four, five, five multi point games in the postseason for Shea Theodore, which you know a, a lot of attention is going to the likes of Miro Hiskanen, Kale McCarr, uh, you know John Klingberg, Quinn Hughes, as far as defensemen. People got to start looking at Shea Theodore and how well he's played and how good he's been on both ends of the ice. He may not be getting the attention that those young guys are, but again, a subtle reminder, he's 25 years old. He's 25 years old. He's got a lot of good hockey left in him. And if the Golden Knights are going to make a deep run here, and if they're going to get back to the Stanley Cup final, and eventually if they're going to hope to win the Stanley Cup, the blue line is going to have to carry them in certain stints. And if it's going to involve Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez and Nate Schmidt, you know, controlling breakouts in the zone and getting involved in the rush, they've shown they can do that. And they've shown that they can be a force to be reckoned with much like they were tonight. Another person I wanted to talk about was Max Pacioretty. And, you know, it's crazy how we talk about Pacioretty and we think about, you know, in the grand scheme of things, he's really been quiet this postseason, but when you look at Deep into the numbers, and when you look at just how he's been since he's come back into the bubble, I mean, we're we're talking three goals in four games, four goals in five games overall. And it's clear that when you're talking about the top line, if Vegas can get that line going, as was the case in the third period, this team is going to be so hard to beat because you already have a third line that, that's buzzing. You have a second line that you know can score whenever they need to. They've been very quiet since the Chicago series. But the second line is very capable of putting up points. You have the third line who's playing as well as probably any line that they can throw out right now. You have the fourth line that's playing solid. That top line with Pacioretty, Carlson, Stone is such a force to be reckoned with. And when you're rolling four lines, when when DeBoer is rolling four lines already, when he is keeping everybody engaged when you're rolling four lines and you are, you know, exuding your force in this, in the ways of depth and you got a top line that can come up big in those situations. That to me is the most impressive thing about this team. The, just the way that they can attack you in waves and just destroy you at any given instance. To me though, the biggest play that Max Pacioretty made Was not the goals. It had nothing to do with the first goal and nothing to do with the second goal. The biggest play of the night for me, for Paccioretti, was the pass to Nate Schmidt that set him up for the goal that gave Vegas the 4 3 lead. Normally, under any circumstances, when you got a guy like William Carlson going straight down the middle of the ice, you are so tempted to just put a pass in the most perfect of spots. To where if you can get this at the right spot, at the right time, Carlson can deflect that and it's a much more dangerous chance. And that could be the goal that gives Vegas the lead. Other times, as you look at the tape, you have Vancouver on the back check and they can just cut off the middle of the ice with no problem. This play, however, was I thought was probably the biggest play of the game. Because Reddy could have obviously gone to Carlson in that situation. Instead, he holds up at the right circle flicks it back to Schmidt. Schmidt fires it, and I'm, I I want to have to look back at it, and, I, and you know what? I can probably pull it up right here while we're t- while we're talking about it. The way that Nate Schmidt put this puck on net, and not only just put it on net, I think there was a really good chance he got it back to Pacioretty, and Pacioretty kind of was uh, caught up, I believe, with Chris Tenev. The way that he was able to you know, have enough presence of mind to not, you know, kick the puck in, but just have enough space to where he could get enough oomph on it. If he doesn't make that pass to Schmidt, more than likely, we're talking about a completely different game because Vancouver, you know, right at that point, if the goal doesn't go in, it's still three, three, and they still got a chance to take the lead and put uh, the pressure back on Vegas. But Max patcheretti has been such a good playmaker. And and I mean, he's been a good playmaker in certain states, especially when he's been healthy. This year, he was on pace to having a career year in goals, a career year in assists, and really a career year in points. Maybe maybe not a career year in goals, but he was he was he was getting up there. His vision is so ridiculous that it's probably the most underrated aspect of this game. Because we talk about Mark Stone's vision, we talk about William Carlson's vision. And when you got a guy, when you got a sniper like patcheretti that's that's the easiest thing you can do is just overlook the playmaking ability. He likes to not think about his hockey IQ. I've talked about it a couple times with him because he says he always likes to play with smart players and he says he wishes he could be as smart as some of the players that he's played with. But man, is he smart? Is he smart? Does he, he is smart to know where he needs to be on the ice. He's smart in terms of where he's got to be in the right areas to make sure he doesn't commit any penalties and he was rewarded tonight with the power play goal, which a great feed from Stone cross ice to set him out for it. But this goal, this second goal, is just I I was amazed that Patcheretti just looked off Carlson at the last second and was like, "Wow, that is a pass that it really should be in the lexicon of Pacharetti's highlight plays." He was fantastic on that play, and again, maybe not the most emphatic goal, but in terms of the situation and him scoring it and especially the top line responding a few minutes later with William Carlson getting on the board, Patcheretti, a fully healthy Pacioretty, and a dangerous Patcheretti, is going to add another element to this playoff run that we have not seen from the Golden Knights yet. And they're one win away from the Western Conference Final. Again, let, let me spell this out for you. We have not seen Max Patcheretti really at full strength up until this point. He says he's feeling great, and I believe him for it. But right now, Max Pacioretty is at full strength, 100%, and he looks good. If Pacioretty stays healthy and he stays this dangerous, this team is going to be so hard to beat. And again, we've talked about the depth, but it's a whole other ball game when you're adding that top line to be as dangerous as it can be. And I thought Pacioretty played probably his best game of the entire person. I really think, you look at it, the last two games – Patrick Reddy has been one of the best players on the ice. It may not have shown on the stat sheet, but tonight it did, and he got rewarded for it. And it was a big win for the top line, a big win for the Golden Knights. Again, one win away from the Western Conference Final, their second Western Conference Final trip in three seasons. And it's insane to me that we are in the position we're in right now at almost midnight, because this show's going up tomorrow, so it's almost midnight. All four conference semifinals series or second round series are are decided right now at three games to one. We could lock up two spots in the conference final tomorrow night with Tampa and Boston and Dallas and Colorado. Now, I'm not going to look too far ahead as far as a potential Western Conference final preview between Dallas and Vegas. Because for all we know, Pavel Francouz can remember how to play goalie. Or at this point, could be Hutchinson for all we know, but he can remember how to play goalie. The Colorado offense can wake up for and play a full sixty-minute game instead of playing, you know, what would what would it be, forty-one minutes and some odd change by not having a shot on goal in the first eighteen minutes of the first period. If they can do that and find a way to beat Anton Kudobin, they could be very much back in this series. But I am not going to be. I am not too hopeful on Colorado. Right now. The way Dallas is playing, they have caught lightning in a bottle right now. And this is not the same Dallas team that Vegas faced in the very first round Robin game. Could Dallas could Vegas beat Dallas? Absolutely. Like there's no question. I think that in terms of overall depth, Vegas is the better team. And in terms of goaltending, Vegas might have the edge. But again, someone who has watched the Dallas Stars for as long as I have. You don't want to count this team out, even though there are times where it's just out of reach and things just don't look good. And the fact that the Stars are one win away from their first Western Conference final appearance in over a decade. And really, it would be what? Their second since they made the Cup final in what? 2000? Mm. That is incredible. The fact that this franchise, for all the talent it's had, has come up short and now finally, of all situations, of all teams, the Dallas Stars are one win away from knocking off the Colorado Avalanche in the second round in setting up the most unlikely Western Conference final if Vegas can finish the job on Tuesday. As far as the Eastern Conference is concerned, the Philadelphia Flyers have lied to us all. They have lied to us all because the New York Islanders are on a mission, my friends. And I don't know how it's going to look between Tampa and New York if we get there, unless Boston makes a huge comeback. I think Boston might be done, though, because I think the, the time, the, 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 uh, the, it, the clock has struck midnight for Yarrow Halak and the Boston Bruins. Clearly, Rask is that much important to the Boston Bruins. The New York Islanders continue, continue to defy all logic, to defy all reasoning. And I know it was Brian Elliott in net tonight, and I know it wasn't Carter Hart. But to be able to get another victory in your belt and put yourself one win away from an Eastern Conference final berth for the first time in almost three decades, the New York Islanders are playing great hockey right now. Barry Trotz has got that team rolling. And I am telling you what, I am here for a long series, hopefully between New York and Tampa. Because, man, if you're talking about contrast to styles, and you're talking about contrast and goaltending, that, that series is going to be so much fun to watch. I cannot wait to see how that unfolds. I cannot wait to see if the New York Islanders can finish that series off. I, I know it lacks the appeal of... Of having a seven game series. You know, we had the two game fives in the qualifying round. We haven't had a game seven in the playoffs through two rounds now. And at the rate we're going, we're not going to get to that point. But these playoffs have been so exciting. They've been so unpredictable. They have been everything and advertised and more since coming back from the pause. And the fact that we are here sitting on a Monday or about to be Monday, all series at 3 1. And we're looking at a potential final four of Vegas, Dallas, Tampa, and New York. That is mind boggling to me, and that those are four teams that I. Two of those teams, yes, you could have made the case before this season started. Those two, two of those teams, you know, the team that got swept after uh, being the President's Trophy winners last year and got swept in the first round, and the team that probably should have gone on to the second round by way of beating by if they should have beaten San Jose. Those two teams should have made it to the Stanley Cup Final, or at least considered Cup favorites um, heading into this year. Dallas and New York, not even close. And watch, we're going to get a Dallas-New York Stanley Cup Final because that's, of course, the way that we're looking right now. So the hockey has been great. The drama has been exciting. The unpredictability has been great. And I am looking forward to seeing the rest of this play out the way that right now it's looking like it should be again. So game five between Dallas and Colorado is tomorrow. We will see if Dallas can complete the back to back and punch their ticket to the Western conference final. And then Tuesday we will find out if the golden Knights will be joining them in the Western conference final to then also we will see if the Tampa Bay lightning will punch their ticket to the Eastern conference final. So a lot to look forward to in the coming days. And we'll be right here to bring you along to it. So tomorrow being Tuesday will be likely a pregame pod. We're going to try and see if we can do a live show on Tuesday, uh, likely after the game. I'm going to look into it and see what we can do. Um, but let's, let's plan a live show on Tuesday, especially a Vegas advances. And that way you can come in with your questions. We can answer them on air and just get the ball rolling. There. So, that will do it for me today, everybody. Thank you for downloading, sharing, listening, subscribing. All that jazz is greatly appreciated. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. Send an email to LockedOnGoldenKights at gmail.com if that suits you. The Golden Knights are one win away from the Western Conference Final for the second time in their three-year history. Expansion rules conspiracy theorists be damned. It is crazy. All right, guys, that will do it for me. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. We will be back tomorrow to see if the Golden Knights will be moving on to the Western Conference Final. Until then, I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Have a good day.